0: to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Start out today with another question to get you thinking. How would your life change... If you knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is going to come back tomorrow. The Bible says Jesus is coming back for his people. That's good news. The bad news is I don't know when it's going to happen. I heard one preacher say, well, I don't know how it's going to happen because I'm on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it could be any time. I know the question's been raised, but why is it taking so long? And we're going to answer that question again, because we've answered it before, a little bit later on. But Jesus is going to come back for his people, and it could be any time. But as we contemplate that today, how do you think your life would change if you knew that he was coming back tomorrow? How do you think your life would change if you knew that he was coming back a week from now? You had a whole week, but he's coming back. How would your life change if you knew that he was coming back in a month from now? How would your life change if you knew that he's coming back, but it wasn't going to be until this time next year? One more. How would your life change if you knew for sure that Jesus was coming back, but it wouldn't be for about five years? years. Now, if you really think that through, you very possibly and probably would have different answers for each of those questions. Hopefully, the answer wouldn't be different because, well, the farther it gets out, the less I'm going to worry about it. I'm going to do my own thing and get right with Jesus right before he comes. That's not what I mean about having different answers. But it certainly is logical and it makes sense. And it's very valid that your answer might be a little bit different because if you know he's coming back tomorrow, that's totally different than if you know he's going to come back in a year because you still have to live life. Even though it's like, hey, I love the anticipation. I know when Jesus is coming back and I want to be ready, but I still got to eat between now and then. I still got to take care of my family. I still have other responsibilities, valid responsibilities. So I have to do those things. But if we knew Jesus was coming back next week... Those particular responsibilities would not be near as important. So again, you might have different answers for each of those different responses to that question, but it is still a question that we should wrestle with. How should we live in light of the fact that Jesus could come back at any time? I love this quote by Martin Luther. Martin Luther, this isn't Martin Luther King Jr., great guy, great quotes, But this is the Martin Luther who started the Protestant Reformation, okay? But Martin Luther said this, he says, Preach and live as if Jesus was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is returning tomorrow. I like that. Preach and live as if Jesus was crucified yesterday. In other words, just that sense of freshness, Jesus died for me. We rejoice in that. That he rose today. That excitement. Jesus rose from the grave and has given me new life. But yet he's coming tomorrow. I need to be ready. I need to be doing what he's called me to do. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about the mess in this world. And how we long for the day that Jesus will come back to make everything right. We've called this sermon series Last Days Lifestyle." And all the mess in the world, and I'm not going to make a list today. Uh, two weeks ago, I made a long list. Last week, I gave you a more abbreviated list of all the things that are wrong, all the things that is uh, going on. It's like, oh, this is, needs to be made right. And many times it gets God's people to thinking, well, surely Jesus is going to come back soon. Surely Jesus is going to come back soon. We've got to be living in the last days. So we've been talking about a last day's lifestyle. Two weeks ago, we talked about warnings from the last days. Jesus warned us in light of all that's going to happen. Don't be deceived. Don't be dismayed. Don't be distracted. Last week, we talked about difficulties of the last days. Paul says in the last days, there's going to be difficulties. And we talked about difficult times and difficult people and difficult relationships and what that means for us as we live our lives in these times. But today, I want to get really, really practical because the passage we're going to look at in 1 Peter chapter 4 is very practical. The title of the message is Instructions for the Last Days. Instructions for the Last Days. How should we live in light of the fact that Jesus could show up at any time? And if I could just summarize it, that if we really have a heart, For our Lord and Savior Jesus, our desire should be that we would do what he wants us to do. That we would maximize our effectiveness for God's plans and not our own. We all face that temptation of living this life for ourselves. We need to live it for Jesus. So we're going to be taking a look at these instructions that Peter gives us for the last days. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses six. To 11. First Peter chapter 4, starting, I'm sorry, verse 7 to 11. Right before this, Peter's talking about how in the last days there's going to be a bunch of scoffers saying, oh, Jesus said he's going to come back soon. Why is it taking so long? All that kind of stuff, okay? He's talked about this in the last couple chapters. But when he gets to verse 7, this is what God says through Peter. The end of all things is at hand, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So how should we live in light of the fact that Jesus could come back at any time? Let me just give you a list of things that we should be focused on from this passage here. Number one is this. Be sure that you are right with God. Be sure that you're right with God. And I say, where does it say that in there? Well, I draw that from the very first statement. The end of all things is at hand. If the end of all things is at hand. And what that means is Jesus is coming back for his people. We're going to be facing eternity to give an account for our lives. We want to make sure that we are right with God. But we've got to deal with the elephant in the room, as the saying goes. Peter said the end of all things is at hand. When did he say that? Almost 2,000 years ago. How can the end of all things be at hand? Or how could it have been at hand 2,000 years ago when it hasn't happened yet? And it brings up that question again that I mentioned a moment ago. And we've answered it before. We're going to answer it again. Again. Why is it taking so long? Why do the scoffers have the ammunition to say, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus said he's going to come back, but that was almost 2,000 years ago. And I remember 30 years ago, people saying, oh, Jesus has got to be coming back soon. Look at the world. 20 years ago, oh, man, this world's getting worse and worse. Jesus has got to be, we, we've got to be living in the end days. 10 years ago, well, as I said a couple of weeks ago, one thing's for sure, we are closer to the end than we've ever been before. But why is it? That God has not brought his plan to completion. Is it because he doesn't have enough strength or power? Is it because he doesn't really know what he's doing? Is it because he's changed his mind? The good news is that God has given the answer in Peter's letter. He gave the answer... In 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read that in just a moment, but I'm going to tell you what the answer is. The reason that God has not shot everything down yet, the reason that Jesus has not yet come back is this. God has been waiting for you. And God's been waiting for me. And God is still waiting for others yet to repent. You see, if Jesus would have come back 70 years ago, I wouldn't even exist. I wouldn't have the privilege of not only having a life, but an eternal life with him. And we all are on different uh, timelines for how old we are and how we've lived our lives and when we've come to know Jesus. But as I said, the answers in Scripture, it's 2 Peter chapter 3. We're looking at 4 today, but chapter before, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Right after Peter saying all these scoffers saying God can't keep his promise. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In other words, in God's plan, in God's purpose, he has in mind, he's going to put an end to things at, at some point, but he's been waiting because he knows that there are more who are going to respond to the wooing of the Holy Spirit, to the work in their lives that God is drawing them to Himself. There are many people that they sense this and they reject that, but there are many who respond and hopefully you've responded to that. I know most all of you in this room and many of you online, you've, you've responded to that at some point in your life. God drew you to himself and you surrendered your life to Christ. You put your hope and your trust in him for salvation. You have gotten right with God. But God's still waiting for more. I've said so many times that at times I get frustrated with this life and all that kind of stuff. And I've had some great things. I love my life. I love my wife. I love pastoring this church. I love what God's called me to do. But it's like, Lord, I think I'm just ready. I'm just ready for you to come back and let's just go on into eternity. And, and all this junk we got to put up with in our world. it be nice to have that over with. But then I pause. Because I have family members and I have friends. And people that I love and people that I care about. Who aren't trusting in Jesus for their salvation? And I know that if God shuts it all down now, they're lost for all eternity. So I kind of revise my thoughts and say, "Okay, God, let's wait a little bit longer. I'm waiting with you. Use me. Let's 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 reach it. And Lord, deal with their hearts. May they come to know You." But the important question today isn't so much our family member and friends. They they are important. Whether they're right with God is whether or not you're right with God. We are living in the day of God's grace, but it will come to an end. And God is waiting for us. My wife, Pastor Jan, has told the story a number of times of when she was, I think, a young teenager. Her and her brother and sister were at home and their parents had told them that they were going to be going out to dinner that night with some friends. And they were busy doing stuff and everything. And then they realized their parents weren't there. And they looked outside and the car was still there. It's like, where did our parents go we know they're supposed to go to dinner but they the car's still here and i don't know why i don't know what was going on in their lives but they began to get concerned that jesus had come back and taken their parents away little did they know they found out later that the people had stopped by to pick their parents up to go to dinner they made other engines for their kids but it caused them to be concerned so they said what is call so and so in the church because we know they're right with god and if they're still here jesus didn't come back so so we kind of laugh. But that is a serious issue because, you see, Jesus will come back. There will come an end to the way things are in this world, and there will come a time when it will be too late. So in light of the fact that Jesus could come back at any time, the question is, are you right with God? When I asked the question to begin the sermon... How would your life change if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? There may have been some of you or some of you watching online or some of you watching or listening to this later. You say, you know what? If Jesus is coming back tomorrow, I got to get right with God. I want to tell you something. You need to do that now. Don't just wait until you think he's about ready to come back because there's not going to be some big warning. And it's not about being a better person. That's a great goal to have. Because we can never be good enough. The Bible makes it very, very clear that we are all sinners separated from God and that the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God, not only in this life, but for all eternity. But that same verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord basically what the good news or the gospel is all about is that even though we are sinners separated from God, with absolutely no way we can change that or do anything about it, God came in the flesh. Jesus Christ, God, became man. Lived a perfect life. The life that we struggle to try to live, if we even try, and we fail. But he lived it perfectly. And he didn't deserve to die, but he willingly died That was part of the plan and his death on the cross paid the price for our sins. So that's why if we put our trust in him, if we surrender our lives to him, if we ask God to forgive us of our sins because Jesus paid for them and we put our trust in that, we put our trust in him and what he did, then Jesus is our savior and we begin to serve him. As our Lord, we say, God, I want to get rid of that sin in my life. That's why the gospel message always says, repent and believe, repent and believe. We repent of our sins. It isn't just saying a little prayer and then go on and live our lives however we want. That's not the way it works. Sin is what causes the barrier between us and God. We repent of that sin, so we work together with His Holy Spirit who dwells within us to get rid of the sin and to avoid it and to deny it and to get rid of, and to, to keep going forward living for Jesus. And when we mess up, we ask Him to forgive us and thank God He does forgive us when we repent. So even though I'm just at the beginning of these points I'm going to make, I wanted to make that very clear and challenge you if you are here today or you're watching online or listening and you don't know Jesus is your savior, get right with God. Don't do it just because you've got this threat hanging over your head that he could come back at any time. But if that's what it takes to motivate you, go for it. The greatest motivation is the fact that I am a sinner sent from God and God loves me enough that he sent his son to die for me. And I want to respond to that by surrendering my life to him. So in light of the fact that Jesus could come at any time, the first and most important thing is make sure that you are right with God. The second one is tell others about Jesus. You know, we can we can we can just sit here and enjoy our Christian fellowship and, and and all that kind of stuff and just kind of be in a holy huddle and 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 we're just gonna serve Jesus. We're just gonna enjoy God's presence when we gather together and all that kind of stuff until Jesus comes and we should do all that. But the reason that we're still here is because God's got more people he wants to reach. I already talked about that, and he wants to use us to do it. So if we have surrendered our life to Christ, He is our Savior. We're trying to serve Him as Lord. A very important part of that is that we need to take that message that we've been so privileged to hear and respond to to the people around us. And I just want to mention this really quick. We've got an event that's coming up in October. October 20th through the 22nd. I've given you a couple of dates to mark on your calendar. Mark that on your calendar too. It's a Friday night. Saturday morning and Sunday morning. We're going to have some missionaries to come be with us. I can't remember their last name, but it's David and his wife. Okay. And their focus is to reach people of the world like all missionaries, but they go around and they work in churches to help people through the process of learning how they can follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to be used by God to reach the people around them, in their family, in their neighborhood, in their workplace. So it's going to be a Friday night, Saturday morning event, and then they're going to preach for us on that Sunday morning. So I want to challenge you and encourage you. You know, sharing our faith with other people is sometimes one of the most scary, one of the scariest things that we face, you know, and we, 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 we deal with things like what, how will people respond? What if they reject me? You know, all that kind of stuff. And so I want to challenge you to plan to be a part of that event as we get closer to it. But whether you are or not, We need to be used by God, and God wants to use us to reach the people around us. The third thing, in light of the fact that Jesus could come at any time, be serious about your prayer life. Be serious about your prayer life. In the second half of verse seven, Peter says, Therefore, since the end of all things is at hand, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What does that mean, to be self-controlled and sober-minded? for the sake of our prayers. It basically means the idea of, you know, don't just kind of stumble through your prayers half awake, half paying attention, but be watchful, be clear headed. Now, please note that even though it says that we should be self-controlled and sober minded, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't experience joy. You see, both things can be true. It's very clear in God's word over and over and over again that once Jesus is our Savior, we have the capacity for great joy because of what God has done for us and done in us and what He wants to do through us. And even though we live in a world full of yuck and junk, pain, problems, we can still experience God's joy. So don't don't take this verse to kind of mean that I better be really serious. You know, look, I just... Look like I just drank a whole bunch of lemon juice and all that. No, no, you can have great joy and still be sober, still be watchful. You know, Peter says something very similar, um, in his, in uh, the next chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. He says, be sober minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Okay. Uh, those almost the same words, it's like, pay attention, okay, be awake, be alert. And he's saying that same thing should be true because of our prayer life. And it's not just so that we can pray, but so that we can pray more effectively and more appropriately. You know, we're used to a number of different scenarios or situations in which we might pray. We, We may pray over our food. A good habit to have is to pray when you first wake up in the morning, you know, make your first thoughts and words be to God, you know. Uh, maybe right before you go to sleep at night, your last thoughts, your last words be to God, Lord, thank you for this day and your your faithfulness to get me through it and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, praying as you drive down the road or whatever, pray that God blesses you and blesses your friends. You go in shopping, you pray for a good parking space. We laugh. I don't think that God necessarily, you know, thinks badly of that. I mean, God likes to bless his kids just like any parent likes to bless their kids if they're obedient. And there's a whole other lesson there, a whole other message. But, But you know what? If that's the extent of our prayer life, it's relatively immature. Okay? We need to get serious about seeking God for ourselves and for our families and for this world and for his plans and purposes. You see, prayer is spiritual warfare. Now think about who's writing this. Not a trick question. Who wrote First Peter? Five of you got it right. Wasn't a trick question. Peter. There was a time when Jesus told Peter, be watchful, be alert and pray. And what did Peter do? He fell asleep. Granted, it had been a stressful day, long day. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is facing the agony of what's going to happen to him. He's going to be crucified the next day and he takes his disciples to pray. And Peter and James and John just a little bit farther to say, hey, you guys be the core, you know, my core support here. You guys keep awake, keep alert, be praying. The enemy's out there. He's watching. And they were so tired, whatever steps they should have taken, they didn't take them and they fell asleep. And because of that, Peter was not ready for what happened. When the people came to arrest Jesus, Peter responded the wrong way. He ran. When he finally got up enough courage to say, hey, I got to find out what happened to Jesus, he followed at a distance. He was in the courtyard. He ended up, Denying Jesus three times, and I believe a lot of that can be traced back to the fact that Jesus said, listen, you guys pay attention, take this seriously, I need you to pray with me, I need you to pray for me, and Peter fell asleep. Can I tell you, there's a lot that hinges, that, 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 that rests upon our prayer life. We need to take it seriously. Be serious about your prayer life. You know, if we knew that someone was going to break into our home to steal from us and to harm our family, we'd be watchful, we'd be alert, we'd be ready. But can I tell you that there is an enemy who comes to steal from you and your family who wants to hurt you? Not a physical enemy, but a spiritual one. And we need to be work, alert and awake. And you can protect yourself. You can protect your family. You can make a difference in the spiritual realm. As I said, prayer is spiritual warfare. So we need to be serious about our prayer life. Each one of these points, each one of these pieces of instruction that Peter gives us is in a different area of our life. And I don't know how these are hitting you. My prayer, my goal would be that whatever the thing you most need to have emphasizes what the Holy Spirit will lay heavily upon your heart. I know he's laid several things on my heart just preparing this message, but maybe this is the one. How does your prayer life Need to change. And, and you might say, well, I'm doing the best I can. I don't even know how to pray more effectively. If that's your response, talk with me. Talk with Pastor Jan. Talk with one of our leaders. We'll be glad to give you some practical advice on how make, to make your prayer life more significant, more uh, biblical, more what it needs to be. The fourth one is this. Love one another earnestly. Love one another earnestly. Verse 8. Peter says, above all, above all, that lets us know this is important. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That word for earnestly in the Greek language means to give it all you've got. It's the same word that was used for an athlete who had put all their energy and all their effort into doing what they had to do to win. And so Peter says, above all, this is important, love one another earnestly with everything you have. And then he throws in this other thing, since love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Love covers a multitude of sins. Does that mean that if I love well, it's kind of a blank check? It just covers over this bad stuff? We'll get to that in just a moment. But we know that love is so significantly important in God's word. You see... Instructions from God all through the Old Testament that they are to love him and love others. In fact, when Jesus comes on the scene and someone asks him, Lord, you know, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus, the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can find that in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31. We see that it's one of the two greatest commandments We also see that Jesus told his disciples in the upper room in John 13, 35, that what is the main thing people are going to be able to see and say, you're my followers is because you love one another. First Corinthians 13 tells us that God wants to use his people and spiritual gifts to do his work in the world. But even more important than any or all of the spiritual gifts is love. That if you don't have love, if you don't demonstrate love, Your spiritual gifts and their effectiveness are almost worthless compared to that. Love is so important. But you just add to that something we don't have a Bible verse for, but we know from our own experience that love is something that we all want and we all need. So God makes it a priority. And keep in mind that love, according to the Bible, is not just feelings. We're so glad for the feelings of love, but love is commitment. Love is I have decided that because of my relationship with you, whether I like it or not, because of my relationship with God, I've got a relationship with you and I want what's best for you. So I'm committed to what's best for you. Now, we like it when that happens in the context of we feel really good toward each other. But that needs to happen in the context of even if we don't feel really good toward each other. That's why Jesus said that we can and we should love our enemies. May not like them very much, but we got to love them. But love is a significant aspect of our walk with God, and God makes it very clear we should love one another earnestly. Now, let's talk about this whole thing of love covers a multitude of sins. This doesn't mean that if you love well enough that God's just going to ignore your sins. You've got to deal with your sins. Thank God he paid for them on the cross. But we need to repent of them. We need to try to live a life as best we can with God's help without sin. But it doesn't mean that if we love other people that we ignore their sins either. It doesn't mean that we ignore people's sins or overlook them or hide them. But the idea here basically is that some people are harder to love than others. And here's some amens out there. You know some people like that. And it says we need to love them anyway. And if we have that kind of love... You know, when it's appropriate and we're in relationship, we may have to talk to them about it and everything, but we love them anyway. When you really love, you don't let the other person's sins, faults, failures, rough edges get in the way of that love. William Barclay, great man of God and Bible scholar, said this, it is not that love is blind, but that it loves a person just as he or she is. You've heard that statement, love is blind? You know, my wife has always said, my mama told me that love is blind, but the neighbors ain't. Whatever that means. But anyway. But you know, you know, that where did the saying love is blind comes from? It's because when you're really in love with someone, you 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 don't notice. You don't you don't respond as strongly to the negative or whatever, and you lovingly you still love them, and you may help them with those negative things. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that God loved me and other people loved me in spite of my rough edges, in spite of my faults. And that's really what this is all about when it says love one another earnestly because love covers over a multitude of senses. You know, you can, you can deal with all kinds of stuff if you really love someone, and we need to do that. That's that's what helps us as the body of Christ to live and work in unity, Okay? And obviously at times when there's sin involved, when there's the extra hard things to deal with, it involves forgiveness. And God calls us to forgive one another, not necessarily because the other person deserves the forgiveness, but because God's forgiven us. And so we can forgive others because God has forgiven us. Now, I asked earlier, how many of you know people that are hard to love? And I heard a lot of amens. I didn't see anybody pointing fingers. That's a good thing. But as I was preparing this, I had a thought come to me that I need to emphasize this. It's so easy when we hear something like this to say, yep, I know some people like that. Okay, God, help me to love them. But I felt like the Lord told me to challenge you. Don't be one of those people that's hard to love. See, when we hear something like this, it's easy and it's more comfortable to say, I know some people like that. But I challenge you to look at your own heart. Who would find me hard to love and why? What are my rough edges? What are my character things that I still need God to, to jump in and I got to cooperate with his Holy Spirit to see, those, see that change, you know? Don't be a hard person to love because of the things that you say, because of the things that you do, because of the attitudes you have. Work hard with God's help to be somebody that people can really love without too much difficulty. Anyway, let's go on. Number five, help those in need and those who are doing God's work. In light of the fact that Jesus is coming back and could come back at any time, what should we do? Help those in need and those who are doing God's work. Verse nine, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. When we think of hospitality, we often think of entertaining We think of inviting people over for dinner. And if we're in that particular group and there's nothing wrong with this, that we we get everything all clean and we put out the best dishes and we do this and we make sure the food is fancy and it's cooked right and all that. There's nothing wrong with all that if you want to do that. But please don't wait until you can do all that to have people over. You know, just wipe the dust off of all the obvious surfaces. Kick all that stuff under the couch. Dig out the paper plates. If that's what it takes to plan a time of fellowship with someone. But that's not what this is talking about. That's what hospitality means in our culture. In their culture, it basically means I'm going to take and use whatever I have to help other people. And many times that meant allowing people to come into your house as to have a place to stay. It meant using your home as a place where you can feed somebody a meal because they don't have what they need to provide a meal for themselves. Hospitality means sharing what God has given to us with others, including our home, our meals, our resources, and our very lives. In New Testament times, there weren't any uh, Hyatt's and Regencies and Marriott's and other hotels. There weren't even any Motel 6's. There were some inns, but they were usually places where you did not want to go. It's where evil people hung out, where evil things took place. If you were a traveler, you would rather be better off camping on the side of the road than staying in an inn. And in the early church, there were so many people that God had called to go preach and teach the gospel. They needed a place to stay. You, you, you read about Paul staying in this person's house and in that person's house and in that person's house as he traveled around. That's part of what hospitality was all about. Not only in the early church, uh, not only uh, that, but in the early church, there were no church buildings. Churches met in homes. They were usually much smaller groups. And so hospitality meant opening up your home so the church could meet there. Sometimes it meant people in need needing a place to stay for a couple of days. That's what hospitality was all about. It was helping people in need and helping those who are doing God's work. And he says, "And do it without complaining." Why does he say without complaining? Cuz we're human. And doing those kind of things can be inconvenient and tiring and costly and awkward and messy. So we need to do that without complaining. What would this kind of hospitality look like today? It can include giving, you know, toward ministries that do this kind of stuff. But I would challenge you that if that's what you're leaning on, I'm just going to give some money toward a ministry that help people in need. That's a great thing. But make sure you're doing what you can do. Because it's not just giving, it's getting involved. It's using your personal resources besides your money, your, your time and your energy and your strength or your possessions to do and provide for whatever God wants to do in the lives of the people around you. You know, there's all kinds of opportunities inside the church. You know, I kind of jokingly used an example of inviting people over and if you want to put out your best stuff, that's fine, but don't wait until then. Even though we often think of hospitality that way, that is a very important aspect of hospitality. To open your home and invite people over, not to show off, but to build relationship, to meet need, to strengthen the body of Christ. Do that. Something we've been talking about in our leadership is that we want to see more small groups in our church. We have some. We have some that meet at the church. That's what basically our women's group and our men's group is. This is a smaller group that meets here at the church. We have a couple of small groups that are part of our church or associated with our church that meet other times and in other places. But we want to see more small groups because we want to see relationships get stronger and uh, people be there for each other. We We do the life of Christ with each other. So you'll be hearing more and more about that as we go forward. But Maybe you could be involved in hospitality by saying, you know what? I think that, yeah, it might be a pain sometimes. There's going to be some work. But maybe my house could be a place where a small group could meet. however However often they meet, whether that's once a month, once every two weeks or whatever. But you know what? That's something I could do. There's opportunities outside the church. I think of different ministries that people in our church have volunteered for through the years. We have, through the years, had a number of people that volunteered to work with the Women's Pregnancy Center, a tremendous ministry. Don't think of that as hospitality, but it really is. It's giving your time and energy and effort to help people in need. I think of the Freedom Clinics that we have hosted here, and we hope to someday in the future. And that is an organization that they there is out there in the community going from place to place on different weekends to offer help and hope to people that have uh, dental and medical and other type of needs. I think of something as so simple as this. <laughs> we got a guy who's a member of our church, Frank. Do you all know Frank? Everybody knows Frank. Frank is, I believe, he crossed his 70th birthday uh, sometime recently. If I'm, if I'm wrong, Frank, please forgive me. He's probably watching because he usually is. He's taking care of somebody uh, right now. But Frank, every year in September, goes out and rides his bike, and he tries to average at least 25 miles a day. And he's doing it in conjunction with an organization that is looking for a cure for cancer. He didn't ask me to say that. You can support him if you want by making a donation, by making a pledge, because he's going to be riding a lot of bike this month. But that's one of his ways, even at his age, with something he likes to use, that he's using something to demonstrate some hospitality, meeting the needs of other people. You see, you can be really creative with it. Let's go on. Number six, work hard to serve God's grace to others. Work hard to serve God's grace to others. We're going to deal with this one very quickly. We've preached whole sermons on this and can do it again, and maybe even sermon series, but we look at verses 10 and 11. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, that in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The teaching of Scripture is that God has given each of his people gifts. They're called spiritual gifts. Sometimes there's something totally unassociated with anything in your past when you become a believer, God gives you the ability that can be then developed and led by the Spirit to be used for His purposes. I also happen to believe that God can also take gifts, uh, talents, and abilities that you already have and use them far beyond what you normally would be able to because of the Holy Spirit's help. You find lists of gifts in a number of places in Scripture, but basically what, Paul is, what Peter is saying here, use your God-given gifts. God gave them to you to accomplish his work. You can read more about the gifts in Romans 12, 6 to 8, and 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 11, and Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13. Find your gifts. Use them for God's kingdom. Say, well, I don't really know what he wants me to do. Can I tell you, just get involved. Volunteer. You hear something that you're able to do, just do it. Can I tell you that if you get rolling and you pray, God, where do you want to use me? He will open the door. He will make it clear. Come talk to, again, any of our leadership about your your passions, your desires, and what God's doing in your life. And we can help you maybe to perhaps distinguish where your gifts are and where you can serve in ministry. But use your God-given gifts. And Peter says you should use your gifts to serve others. This is a question we all have to wrestle with. Are we... More concerned about serving or being served. Peter says here use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's buried grace. You know, God's grace is His goodness and His love and His forgiveness. All the things He does for us that we don't deserve. And Peter says, basically, God is going to give you the opportunity to do that for other people in his kingdom. In fact, he calls us stewards. A steward is someone who's been given something that's not theirs, but they've been giving it to use in a responsible way. And that really describes what God has done for us. He's put so much into our lives. He's blessed us so much. And he didn't do it just to bless us and just for our benefit but so that we could use it for others and demonstrate God's grace to them. You know, the scriptures I gave you with lists of gifts, there's a whole lot of different gifts in a lot of different areas. Peter doesn't break down into a lot of little tiny descriptions. He just breaks them into two categories. He basically says there's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts. And really just about anything you can do for God and the gifts you have, the talents and the abilities can be broken into one of those two areas. But Peter says, if you have a speaking gift... If God uses you in a way in which you speak. Either to a big group like I am today or to a small group or just in conversation with somebody else. Make sure that you speak God's words with God's anointing. He says, speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Basically, all it's saying is make sure that you're saying what God wants you to say. And that's a very serious issue. It's a very important responsibility. It's an important, important responsibility when I prepare my messages in Bible studies and I get up to speak them. That's like, Lord, what do you want said here? And that what I say, it, 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 it is true to what God said in his word. That's true for any of us that God uses in a speaking gift. But he says there are serving gifts. And he says if you're used in serving, then serve with God's strength. Can I tell you that God will give you more strength than you have in yourself? You'll be able to do a lot more and be a lot more effective than you ever would have dreamed with whatever God leads you to do. And before I go on and get ready to try to wrap this up, I just want to first of all say to all of you that are a part of this church that you're a leader or you're a teacher or you are a server in any ministry. Or even as we talked about earlier about our volunteer appreciation, or you volunteer in any way. You may just, you know, the, the biggest way you, you, you serve is you prepare meals. You serve meals. You help set up and tear down. Whatever it is you do, if you do it for God's kingdom, I want to let you know that you are appreciated by me and by many other people in this church. You're appreciated by God, too. We need to take our ministry seriously. We need to prepare. We need to do our best for God, not for ourselves. But I challenge you to find your place. We need to uh, get this thing wrapped up. The third thing here is use your gifts for God's glory. He says, in, in order that everything, that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Don't do what you do to get glory for yourself. Oh, the people in church are going to think me so spiritual. They're going to think me so helpful. They're going to look to me forever. You know, no, no, no. We do it for God's glory. We do it for God's glory. So Peter wraps up these instructions at the very end of verse 11. He says, to him, talking about God and Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the end goal. Jesus could come back at any time. How should we live? We might would expect somebody to say, well, quit your job and go preach on street corners and knock on doors. Only do that if God tells you to. Really what God calls us to do is live a normal, godly Life, doing whatever he calls us to do to reach people for Jesus and encourage one another with the anointing and gifts that God gives us to do that. It's not any more or less complicated than that. This is what we should do in light of the mess our world is in. This is what we should do in light of the fact that Jesus could come back at any time. So in light of Jesus' return, make sure you're right with God. Tell others about Jesus. Be serious about your prayer life. Love one another earnestly. Help those in need and those who are doing God's work and work hard to serve God's grace to others. So how do we apply this today? Well, first of all, if you don't know Jesus, get right with God. Commit yourself to reach out to others and tell them about Jesus. Maybe you need to make some changes to your prayer life. Maybe there's some relationships you need to work on, people that have been kind of hard to love and you've just been avoiding them and God says, don't avoid them, love them. Maybe when I said that thing about don't be hard to love, God pricked your heart and said, oh, I've got to work on my attitude. I've got to watch what comes out of my mouth. You know, I don't know. Look for opportunities to meet people's needs and get involved in what God wants to use you to do to make a difference in your world. Let's all stand together. We're going to end our service today the way we most often do. I'm going to invite our pastoral staff, our elders, our prayer team to come. Our worship team is going to lead us in some worship. And I challenge you and encourage you. Have your mind and heart open to what God has spoken to you about and pray about that. If you want, you can sing along with the worship team and worship. But this is also that time just before we close when if you have a need in your life, that you would like someone to pray with you about or you would like someone to pray with you about someone else that you're concerned about because they have a need in their life or if you need to know Jesus is your savior come and join with one of us and we'll be glad to pray with you and in just a couple of moments one of our pastoral staff will close in prayer Lord I come Heavenly Father as we just sang that truly is the cry of my heart anyway, Lord God, and it's certainly the truth. We desperately need you. Father, as we conclude our time together this morning, we thank you for your presence with us. And God, we thank you that as we've been talking about these days, this time that we live in the last couple of weeks, and we look out and we see all the difficult, all the evil, all the sinful rebellion against you and your standards and... And Lord, it impacts our lives in so many ways, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us instruction, Lord God. You've helped us perhaps to refocus. And today, you've talked about what should be important to us as we live in these difficult times, knowing that you could come back at any time. Father, I just pray you continue to speak to us from these words today about how we should live, what we should do, how we can lean on you, And be more effective at doing what you call us to do. And Lord, for those who may need instruction and wisdom, Lord, what exactly do you want me to do? How, Lord God, can you use me in my workplace? How can you use me in my school? How do you want to use me in our church? For those people that we're in relationship with, and sometimes it's a little difficult, Lord, that you would give us extra grace, extra patience, and that you'd help us not... To be difficult to love, Lord God. Help us all to grow closer to you and be more like Jesus. God, there's just so many different ways to apply this today. And I just pray that you'd bring that alive to us. And help us, Lord God, to do that. And Father, I pray that you'd help each of us to grow closer to you. Just take that time every day to seek your face. To talk with you. To just communicate with you. And Father, we thank you for that. Lord, as we leave this place here in just a couple of moments and we go out into our world, which really is our mission field, that you would use us in our world. And Father, we thank you and we praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.